Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Amani Roberts about leading the younger generation. Amani Roberts, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Jonathan. I appreciate being here. Yeah, I am excited for this conversation. You have a unique background. I'll share your bio in just a moment, but uh, definitely a a unique guest uh, with unique insights that you'll be able to share with listeners today. We're going to be focusing our conversation on leading and managing people in volunteer organizations and also uh, really focusing in on leading younger generations, such as young millennials and Gen Z workers. As we get started, I wanted to share Amani's bio with everybody. Amani Roberts is a Washington DC born and bred creative graduate of Howard University, who has been a DJ since 2008. And I should just insert here, I don't think I've ever interviewed a DJ before. So that's really cool. Uh, Amani currently lives in LA, California, and is the chief musical curator for his entertainment and production company, the Amani Experience. Amani has produced remixes of numerous popular artists and hosts a weekly podcast called the Amani Experience Podcast, where he interviews creative professionals from all over the world about why they took the leap from corporate life to the creative life. Amani is also an adjunct professor at Cal State University Fullerton, teaching entertainment money management in the School of Business and Economics, as well as the co-director for the Center for Entertainment and Hospitality Management. Amani's first book, DJs Mean Business, One Night Behind the Turntables Can Spin Your Company's Success, was released in April of 2020. A wonderful background, really a unique background, especially for for my listeners. I think this will be uh, incredibly interesting. And congratulations on the launch of your book. Uh, Right as the pandemic was getting (laughs) underway, uh, which I'm sure made it interesting for you in the launch. and before we really dive on into the conversation, anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context? If any listeners want to reach out to me via LinkedIn, Amani Roberts, my full name, and I'm really active the past 17, 18 months in terms of live streaming. So you can catch me on Twitch, twitch.tv backslash Amani Experience. And those are just some other ways to get in touch with me. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So as we get started, I think um, first of all, I would love just a little bit of a background, like, like how you got into the work that you're doing. You have a, I mean, you're a DJ, you have your own entertainment and production company. You're an adjunct professor, you know, teaching courses at the university and co-director of this center. Um, you're, you're a writer, uh, you do all these different things and you help, you know, on your podcast, you help people think through and talk through like their decision to leave kind of the corporate jungle, the grind, and go into more of a, uh, a creative outlet 
for themselves. How did you get into this kind of diverse mix uh, of things that you do? I grew, I grew up working in hotels, but there was always a calling for me to be a DJ. I saw DJ Bismarcky, <clears throat> excuse me, who was at this club in DC and he set the crowd off that I was amazing. So I decided then that I wanted to do what he did. But at the time, I didn't really feel that DJing was a legitimate career. I was wrong. It took me a while to pursue it. Once I got out here to Los Angeles, I then decided to pursue it, take classes and to start my business. So I was working for hotels and DJing at the same time. Eventually, I got to the point where I wanted to pursue it full time. That's when I really started to do the DJ thing. And then through my involvement with professional associations is how I was able to acquire the teaching position. And then that led to the book. And that's kind of where it's taken us to where we are current day right now. Well, excellent. I appreciate that. And, you know, it, it speaks to me because, you know, I, I'm a, I consider myself a scholar practitioner. I'm a professor. I do consulting work. I do things like this podcast, um, but I also have the creative side. So I'm, I'm rather analytical in a lot of ways. Um, but I have this creative side of me too. And I really love music. I love performing. I love singing. Um, and, you know, I try to find ways to have that piece of myself, that outlet to be ever present in my life. And sometimes I do better at that than others. Um, but I would really, you know, I'd have kind of a hole in my soul if I, if I didn't, uh, you know, scratch that itch and, and really find ways to, to do that. And, and I think so, so often we just get caught up in the daily grind of life. We get caught up in just trying to make mortgage and, and pay the bills and, you know, put food on the table and whatever that, uh, you know, we, we really can get sucked into kind of a downward dark spiral of just, just the grind rather than living a fulfilling, engaging, meaningful life where we can contribute in a variety of ways. And that may mean that we still, you know, work in a corporate setting or that we still have kind of the more traditional types of jobs um, but ultimately we, we can find other outlets. And, and I think that's, if, if we talk about like someone who's really healthy, uh, in all aspects of their life, uh, mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, and with healthy careers and, and good, uh, family and, uh, family life, friend life, uh, those sorts of things, like, you know, really it, it requires attention to every area on a regular basis. Otherwise, um, uh, things will wilt and wither. So I, I appreciate that aspect of what you bring to the table. Um, as we get started today, I wanted to explore a little bit uh, about your focus in your work on volunteer organizations. Um, so leading and managing people within a volunteer setting, that's a bit unique. It's, it's, uh, it's something many organizations have to grapple with. And frankly, many organizations don't do it very well at all. Probably most don't do it very well at all. Um, so tell us a little bit about your experience with that, why that's an important issue to you, then we can get into some of the particulars of like, how, how did you do that effectively? So my involvement with uh, professional associations comes from MPI, Meeting Professionals International, I'm up on the board of the Southern California chapter for Meetings Professional International. I'm actually, as of July 1st, the president of the chapter for the next year. And um, first black president in 45 years. And I kind of grew up in this within my DJ business. I've kind of grown up in this association. I started as a volunteer. Then I was a department or a committee chair. Then I was a director of a certain department, then went to VP, president-elect and now president. So I've been in 
active in the association for about eight years and I've seen what works and what doesn't work. I've learned from mistakes. I've learned by doing things well. So I feel very confident in terms of how to motivate, inspire people in a volunteer organization. Remember, people are not getting paid for this. This is completely volunteer. So it's, it's extra work. And at many times it's like a full-time job, extra full-time job. So I've learned a lot of things. I've witnessed what's worked and I just feel I have an excellent perspective to share with your listeners. Yeah, excellent. So, so tell us a little bit about some of your learnings. I've also been in many, a part of many associations like what you're describing. Again, usually all or nearly all completely volunteer driven. Um, it is a different thing than if you have someone who's coming to work and getting a paycheck. Um, but there, we, we can find ways to motivate people and to leverage their capacities and their capabilities to drive the success of the organization. So what are some of the, those key uh, um, core principles that you've discovered over the time that you've been working uh, in this organization and congrats on, on taking over the, the helm? Yeah, yeah, thank you. I think there's usually two to three ways where you can really primarily motivate people. People in general have a desire, a thirst to learn. So if you're able to expose them to an area where they can learn new skills that they can then apply to their job and give themselves more value, I think that's a tremendous value. For example, in our association, we plan an event. Um, it's a major conference, three days, two nights, and we get a lot of volunteers who have never planned an event, but want to know what it's like to plan an event so then they will participate and volunteer. And that's how to keep people involved. I think the second way is if you, if you have people that are volunteer within an association, but you can show them how it's gonna increase their value, whether by growing their business, you know, their contact base, their, their ideal clients and getting more business, or by making themselves more attractive to potential employers, that also has extreme value. So I like to take those two aspects and really kind of use that as motivation for people to, to kind of give them an example you know, I know you're, you're in the process of moving from, say, you know, Chicago to Los Angeles looking for a job. It would, it would be a really good idea. You know, I think you would really benefit if you join our association volunteer, because then you could talk to different uh, potential employers, but on behalf of the association, but still do a soft sale about your own skills also. And we've seen that work very well. And so those are kind of the two main ways that I have had and seen success with motivating people to participate and stay involved within uh, an organization like an association, professional association. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And, and I think, you know, it taps into the desire that people have to do something that brings fulfillment, meaning and purpose into their life, right? Uh, people volunteer and are part of these associations for, I suppose, a variety of reasons. And some of it can be, um, you know, really just like networking, I just need to do this to, to further my career. Um, but my experience has been most people who find themselves really invested in these types of associations, they're doing it because, you know, they want to develop themselves, they want to learn, they want to grow, they want to connect with other people, they want to do work that's meaningful to them, and they find um, the, the work in these associations volunteering to, to bring that level of fulfillment. And, you know, there's a lot of research on this about the, the importance of, of developing skills to motivation to finding meaning and purpose to, to, to drive motivation. Uh, and ultimately, uh, I, I think those are the things we need to tap into because we don't have the levers of pay or benefits or you know some of those other types of levers that we often have in a corporate setting. Uh, so we have to tap into those intrinsic motivators that are meaningful to people. Um, I think this connects too uh, well to the, to the next point I wanted to discuss with you. And that is leading uh, 
younger generations of workers. So millennial, young millennial in particular and Gen Z workers. There's a lot of research on this age cohort. They, they, they're driven by a desire to make an impact. They want to do things that, that are meaningful, um, that bring fulfillment, and they want to be able ultimately to make a difference in the world around them. Uh, and and when, when they aren't given that opportunity in the workplace, they tend to move on to the next place. They, they want mentoring, they want coaching, uh, they want to develop themselves, they want to have opportunities for advancement. Uh, and and I, I find some similarities between what you're just talking about in an association setting or a nonprofit, you know, with volunteers and volunteer management, bring, tapping into the passion, tapping into the fulfillment. How can we do that more in a, say, a corporate setting um, when people, you know, they are getting, uh, you know, some motivation out of the pay and the benefits and career development opportunities. Um, but the, again, there's only so much we can do with that. And so how do we tap in, especially for this younger generation, uh, into the, the fulfillment, the passion, the purpose piece? I think having a give back component, even in the corporate atmosphere is very, very valuable, whether it's you pick a few nonprofits to focus on doing community service with, helping them raise funds, uh, assisting with fundraisers. I think when you see the most successful corporations and companies, they have a give back, give back component with a, a nonprofit that they partner with. They tend to keep their associates and employees around longer. Their employees and associates tend to be engaged a little bit more. And it, it just really helps to also recruit new associates also. And I think that nowadays, whereas before it used to be a competitive advantage, now it's almost like a requirement for many, many companies to have some sort of community service aspect to their business so that when they're trying to identify new potential uh, associates or employees, they have that to also sell them on. So I think that's that's the main thing there. And then also the successful companies nowadays create like, communities within their business, whether it's an actual community where people are in person talking and meeting and, and sharing a little bit more than just what business is about, or they have like a thriving, you know, online community, whether it be through an app like Slack or, you know, Discord's a kind of hidden gem that people use. I think those two aspects specifically for the generation that we're speaking about, because they've used, they've grown up with the internet being at their fingertips all the time. I think that's another way that it's just great to engage with like the millennials, Gen Z, because they're online. So we can meet them online too. And we can get to know them that way also. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership. Ordinary, everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors 
of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I love that. The, the, the corporate social involvement uh, is, has been a really fast-growing area. Most large corporations have humanitarian arms or they have either their own you know, n- nonprofit connected with the organization or they have partner organizations that they do the, this work with. And so um, that's, a, that's a really important piece. I also think that younger workers, they expect um like social impact investing uh of their organization so companies have all of these resources at their disposal they invest them in a variety of ways uh younger workers they expect for that money to be invested in ethical socially minded organizations that can make a difference in the world they expect their own corporation to have a focus on corporate social responsibility and to be good corporate and social players uh, in in the surrounding communities. And so all of these different components, we, we can't, as organizations, I mean, certainly there's just the human benefit, like the human case for, for um, focusing on these things because it's good for the environment, it's good for communities, it's good for the people in our organizations. But there's the clear business case for it. Like no longer, as you said, it, this used to be kind of a perk, like an extra little thing to entice people. No longer, now it has to be embedded or you're not going to get good people. Younger generations are going to refuse to work for you (laughs) because they want to work in those types of organizations that are making a difference, that are socially responsible, and that will give them an opportunity to contribute in the same way. Whether that's through, you know, a partnership with a nonprofit, or even if it's just through the the corporate social responsibility work within the company, uh, the types of projects, services, initiatives that the company is undertaking, engaging those, those younger employees into that, connecting their passions with the, the, the organization's values, purpose, mission, uh, you know, it's just so, so important. So I, I think there's a variety of ways to do it, um, but we need to be committed to it. And we need to communicate, you know, as an organization, as a leadership team, we need to, to affect, learn how to effectively communicate what we're doing to our people so they can see what we're doing or trying to do and accomplish um, and, and then we can tap into their talents to help assist us as we're going down that kind of strategic path. The other thing that I think is really important is to just recognize, to remember that we can't just give lip service to this. Um, younger generations will see through that a mile away. Um, they, they know when it's just a PR stunt. They want to see that this is something that actually is a core value of the organization, not just in word only, not just you know, in a slogan or in a, you know, something on the website or posters on the wall at the company, but like literally embedded, uh, an embedded value that's uh, uh, pervasive throughout the organization with mechanisms for accountability and for people to be able to uh, actually contribute. That's, that's what the younger generations want. That's, that's what they're demanding. And, you know, sometimes I hear older, you know, leaders from older generations kind of bemoaning millennial or Gen Z, you know, saying, oh, they're entitled. They, you know, they just think that they can come in and and make a difference and they just want to come in and, and uh, do all these things. Like they need to pay their dues and blah, blah, blah. 
you know, I just don't, I don't buy into that argument. I think of course, like good on them for coming in and, and holding people to a higher standard, good on them for coming in and wanting to do something that's meaningful. Um, that's going to make an impact. We shouldn't have to wait, you know, 10, 20, 30 years into our career to do something that's valuable uh, and that can contribute back to our communities. And, and they just demand more. It's, I mean, I teach at the university all the time. I teach students how to lead and engage people. All they're doing is going out from, you know, they're, they're going out into corporations and they're expecting uh, for their leaders to do, you know, what they were taught. And, and many leaders aren't, aren't doing it. And so uh, that makes them uncomfortable. Uh, anyways, I, I think all of this is, is stuff that I really get excited about. Um, and uh, I appreciate, you know, your insights uh, on this. I think uh, perhaps uh, the last thing we could discuss together today, um, you know, just some insights, maybe some lessons learned around what you've seen in past leaders you've encountered, what's worked, what hasn't worked. Uh, and why? Yeah, I think lessons I witnessed from past leaders. Uh, one of them I heard say, you know, work with the willing and love the rest. So when you're more working with people, you will identify a, a group of people who just are active and want to do it and want to work. And so just definitely work with them. Some people might, you know, might not be around as much, might not be as visible. You can still love them. And then when they come back and they want to work more, we can work with them too. That's one lesson. Um, you know, Additionally, like you can't do it all yourself. Delegation is a skill that has to be, it's a muscle that has to be developed and honed over time. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that's just that, like we cannot do it all ourselves. I know we try to do it frequently, but it's just not possible. So delegate, let people do what they are there to do. And you'll find that even if you delegate a project to someone and they make a mistake, they don't do well. They will be more loyal in the future because you let them they'll go experience it on their own, make their mistakes and learn than if you are micromanaging them. I know that micromanaging can help you get things done in the short run, but if you just delegate, let people do the project and learn, we learn together, we make our mistakes together, it'll have a bigger and a better impact in the future. And that's been probably one of the more valuable lessons I've learned in the last three or four years. Yeah, I, I think there's a natural tendency that many leaders have to 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 end up micromanaging. I think I, nobody thinks micromanaging is a good idea. I mean, <laughs> everyone will say, "Yeah, that's terrible. I don't want to be micromanaged." But when you find yourself in a leadership position and all of a sudden you're responsible for the outputs of your team, it it, be, it can be a different story. All of a sudden, you feel the pressure to perform, and you don't feel like people around you are are up to the level. Um, it can be really easy for you to just kind of step in. And in the short term, you might be able to get results, but you can't sustain that. You can't do the job of five other people. There's a reason why you have a team. And if you're micromanaging them, you're not building on their capacities. You're not, you're not leveraging that. And so we have to be willing to let go of control. We have to be willing to let go of power. We have to empower those around us to do their jobs and we have to let them learn. And like you just said, I mean, sometimes that means they're going to make a mistake. Uh, it, we all make mistakes. So there's no harm in making a mistake as long as we learn from it and don't do it again. Right. And so that as, as a leader, my job is, you know, I, I always think a leader is a teacher. A leader is one who develops those around them. 
And so if I'm in a leadership position, the number one thing I need to be doing is to develop everyone on my team, help them understand their potential, build out their capacities, and then do the best work they're possibly capable of doing. And I'm not, I'm never going to get to that through micromanaging. Um, and, and like you said, if you want to have long-term sustainable results, that's only going to happen as you build trust in your team, as you leverage the capacities of each individual member of your team, as you tap into their unique expertise, uh, because each team member is going to have their own skills, competencies, and capabilities. All of that, I think, plays into what younger generations expect in the workplace. It, it, and it's basically just good leadership. It's good management. It's what we've been teaching in business schools for the last 50 years, certainly the last 30 years. And, uh, and, and younger workers are just expecting it now. Agreed. Yeah, well said. Well, Amani, it has just been a real pleasure talking with you today. I know that we're getting close to the end of our time, but before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners again how they can get connected with you, find out more about the work that you do, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Definitely you, anyone listening, um, first of all, thanks for listening. I appreciate that. Um, follow me on all the socials at Amani Experience. You can find me on LinkedIn, Amani Roberts. If you put a DG after that, that's when I will pop up there. Twitch.tv backslash Amani Experience for live streaming. And you can find my book on Amazon or anywhere where you get your books. I think the last word, really just to continue on the thought process of, of working together, letting people learn by their mistakes, um, just build a team and let them go to work. Build a team and let them learn through the ups and the downs, the good times and the bad times. They'll trust you more, they'll love you more, and they'll be loyal. And that's what you want. You just want a loyal team around who will tell you what you need, need to hear, maybe when you don't want to hear it, but you need to hear it. And just move forward and don't let any um, issues stop you from moving forward. We always have to deal with the issues, but keep moving forward is the main thing. And as my music instructor tells me, just keep moving forward. You're not allowed to give up. We're never allowed to give up. And that's the final word. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Well, Imani, it has been a real pleasure. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your insights. I encourage listeners to reach out to get connected, find out more about what Amani can do from, for you, learn more about uh, his, his experience, his perspective, as well as tap into his, uh, the creativity piece in, in engaging your people, I think is a, it's a really uh, awesome opportunity for organizations. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.
Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.